may be seated. Isn't it a joy to hear those young voices making a joyful noise to the Lord? It's great to have uh, little ones in the congregation that at a very young age they are hearing God's people sing his praises and learning to sing them themselves. What's it like for you when you have to say goodbye to someone and you don't think you're going to see them again? I've said more than once to my wife, I don't like goodbyes. I don't suppose anybody really likes goodbyes, do you? But we live in a world where, where goodbyes are often said. And our text today is, is about a goodbye. So as you turn to Acts chapter 20, be prepared for a goodbye scene between the Apostle Paul and some people that he loves. Paul has known these folks that he's going to be addressing for a number of years. In fact, it appears that Paul spends more time in Ephesus the church there than anywhere else where he ministered. His ministry, you remember, tended to be one of an itinerant church planter and preacher. And so he wasn't often in one place very long, especially when opposition would break out and he would become a target, literally. But he spent a fair amount of time in Ephesus, almost three years. He'll mention that in our text today. And so as he's returning to Jerusalem, and you'll notice in the text that he, he feels very certain in his heart that this is the Lord's will, that he go back to Jerusalem. But at the same time, he knows he's walking right into the mouth of the lion. And so he knows that that is going to bring suffering. We'll notice that in our text. So, so on his way back to Jerusalem, even though his, his route's not taking him through Ephesus, he, he doesn't have time to make the, the inland journey. But, but he says, I've got to see those guys again. I, I really want to see those men face to face again. It's not going to be enough to write him a letter. So he sends a message ahead and has those elders come down from Ephesus down to the coast to Miletus, where his ship puts in briefly. And that's the scene of our text for this morning. Acts chapter 20, beginning of verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, 
Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. One of the commentators I read on this passage said, how can you say anything in a sermon, in a comment about a sermon of Paul. And I certainly feel that. This is, this is Paul's one sermon, by the way, to a church that we have. The other sermons that we've got are evangelistic sermons that he preaches, usually in context of a synagogue, one time on Mars Hill in Athens. This one, he's speaking to a church. And so I think it's especially appropriate for you as a congregation, as a church, to listen to what Paul's saying here. He, he didn't know you. You don't know him. Not in an earthly sense. But I'm convinced that if the Apostle Paul could have five minutes with you, as a congregation today, this is what he'd say. He'd say this to you. And so I hope that, that you're listening to these words that the Holy Spirit gave to him 
as words from his heart and from the heart of God to you. And that you find them precious and treasure them in your mind. Well, let's listen in then to what Paul has to say to these people. He first calls them to remember there in verse 18. You remember what I was like when I came here. You remember how I ministered in your presence. I served you. He uses the term here for servant, but also for slave. I acted as a slave of the Lord. See that in verse 19? I served as a slave to the Lord in all humility. We've seen that so often in these past weeks, haven't we? Humility is the mark of the kingdom of God. I, I, I could take you back to Matthew 18 and some other places, but I don't think I need to. You've, you've got that lesson, I hope, that humility is the hallmark of the kingdom of God, and Paul's saying, I served you with humility. Humility should be the mark of your walk with God, and especially when you're in a position of leadership. I don't think Paul's bragging here. I think he's calling to mind his own example because he's, he's speaking to people that are, are in a position of leadership and he wants to encourage them and so he knows that, that it might be helpful for them to have an, sort of a visual in their minds. They can remember what he was like. And so he's, he's saying to them, God enabled me to be a, a humble servant of you. I was once a proud, bitter person, but... But I was able to minister to you with humility, and I want you to remember that because I want you to be that way with one another. Are you humble with the people of God? You don't know what burdens someone may be carrying. You don't want a proud word to wound a spirit that's already wounded. You want that humility that Paul's talking about, all humility with tears, even in the point of weeping. Why did he weep sometimes? Well, you weep over people you love, don't you? He ministered to these people with love, and so sometimes he... He ministered with tears. He ministered in the midst of trials, he reminds them. There was opposition. You face opposition. You know that. You face opposition from the world, from Satan, from your own flesh. I kept ministering. That idea of trials here carries... It carries the implication of an endurance. I did not let those trials deter me. I persevered in service to you. And he goes on then in, in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you. He, he's using a negative expression here. He's going to use the same expression later on, and he's using the negative as a form of emphasis. You know, sometimes when you want to really emphasize something, you state it in the negative, and that's what he's doing here. So he's, he's emphasizing 
He's emphasizing his declaration to you, he says, of anything that is profitable. You see his motive there for his ministry? He wants that which profits the church, that which benefits the church. And anything that he can do to benefit that congregation, he did. He didn't hold back anything. He gave 100%. Are you giving 100% to benefit the church of God? Are you seeking to be profitable to the congregation of God's people? I didn't hold it back. I, I declared the gospel. In fact, the word that he's using there is the verb form of the word gospel. You could almost say, I, I gospeled you. I gave you the good news. I declared it to you. I taught you. I knew that you would profit by teaching, so I taught you. I taught you publicly. I taught you privately, he says. He put the church first because he wanted to be of a benefit to them. He testified or witnessed there in verse 21, testifying, witnessing. This is the word that we eventually get the word martyr from testified a witness to these two things. You hold on to these two things, please, as a church. Repentance toward God. Faith in our Lord Jesus. Keep it simple. Okay. Keep coming back to these things. This was his goal. This was what he knew was ultimately going to be the most profitable for the people that he was ministering to. If they experience repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing else, nothing else that's better than this. Of course, it's great to minister to other kinds of needs. And in fact, you will demonstrate the love of God by ministering to other needs that people have. But keep these central in your life as a church. Be a church that's known for repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. That in itself is a demonstration of that humility we were talking about before, isn't it? He goes on then to become more personal in verse 22. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. There's a little bit of debate about how, how we translate that. Does he mean constrained in my spirit, like within, or does he mean constrained by the Spirit? I, I don't think there's a lot of difference in, in those in Paul's mind. Okay, I, I think the two go hand in hand because his will, his spirit, is to do the will of God, and, and so they... I think you can interpret it either way and get it right here. He's, he's doing this out of his desire to serve God as he should. It's not just some frivolous thing that he's taking on. So I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. You don't know the future. You don't know the future either. You don't know what the next day is going to bring even. You don't know what next year is going to bring, the next decade. Paul doesn't either. I don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but I do know this. 
I do know the Holy Spirit keeps telling me every place I stop, he tells me I'm walking into suffering, persecution. Why on earth is the Holy Spirit doing that? I hope you ask a lot of why questions of Scripture. How many times have I said that? <laughs> why does the Holy Spirit keep telling him that every, every place he stops? I, I don't think it's to torment him. I, I think it's so Paul's ready. I think it's to enable Paul to get his mind ready for what he's going to face, so it's not going to catch him off guard. I think the Holy Spirit is being gracious here. I want you to know what you're going into, Paul. I'm not going to give you the details, but you're walking into the fire. I want you to be ready for that. You need to be ready. Life Life brings suffering for a believer, for a follower of Christ. There are those out there that tell you you become a Christian and everything is going to fall into place. Things are going to be hunky-dory. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, wise. That's a bunch of garbage. Did Christ have an easy time? Was his life a bed of roses? He says, if you're following me, you're taking up a cross. I'm going to die. If you're following me, you're going to die. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. God says, be ready for that. The world says, escape it. Okay, that's what the world's going to tell you to do. When things get tough, the world's going to say, bail out. That relationship's hard, check out of it. You don't like that thing that's going on? Just escape. Escape in entertainment. Escape by moving. Escape, you know. The, the word from God for us in suffering is persevere, not escape. Paul's modeling for that for us. I, I know suffering lies ahead of me, but I'm not pausing a beat. Why? There's another why question. Why does he say that? Why can't he say that? Well, look at the next verse. Here's why. Because I do not account my life as precious. Literally says, on no account do I treasure my life. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What does matter to Paul? Well, look what he says next. He, he's not disdaining this earthly life. He's not saying there's some benefit in punishing yourself, you know, being a masochist or something. But he's saying, relatively speaking, okay, there's something I value so much more than this earthly life. He's echoing the words of Jesus here, isn't he? How many times did Jesus say words to this effect? You have to hate your life. 
Jesus says. He's, he's speaking in hyperbole there, saying that, that your love for me has to be so great that your love for yourself is like a hatred. Okay, so that's what Paul's saying here. I, I, I don't count my life of any value because there is something so much more valuable that I have. If only I may finish my course. If only I can finish the race, reach the goal, accomplish what God has called me to do. Look at that, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. To complete the ministry that God has given me in the Lord Jesus means so much more to me, Paul's saying, than my earthly life. Again, it's a word for serving, ministering. It's actually the word that's used for deacon that we talked about a couple Sundays ago, or maybe it was last Sunday. Literally deaconing, we could say here. I want to finish my course. I want to finish that ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify. There's, their, there's our word testify or witness again to the gospel of the grace of God. And of course, that's, that's in harmony with that repentance and faith that we saw earlier in the text. That's what matters to me, Paul's saying here. Only I can do that. Paul didn't want to leave anything on the table. He's not a person who's hoarding his gifts. He's not a person that's always worried about what he's got in reserve. He doesn't want to have anything left at the end. He wants to go into the presence of God knowing he poured it all out. He uses that exact expression in 2 Timothy, probably the last letter that we have that he wrote. I am being poured out like a drink offering before God. About run out, Timothy. There's not much strength left in this body. I know I don't have long, but I poured it out as an offering to God. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. These are the words of a prophet. We could go back and look at texts where God says to the prophet, uh, I think it's Ezekiel I'm thinking of, if you proclaim my word and they don't listen, then that's on them. But if you do not proclaim my word and they perish, their blood is on your hands. Paul saying, I told you the whole counsel of God. I laid it all out for you. I did not hold back. I preached the sovereignty of God. I preached his purpose. I preached his predestining work. I gave it to you all. I didn't hold back anything. There are so, so many people today that they want to hold back. They don't want to give the whole story. Oh, if we, if we give the whole story, if we start talking about suffering as a Christian, who's going to want to be a Christian? 
We, we've got to emphasize the good things. Paul say, I laid it all out. That's exactly what Jesus did too, isn't he? Time and again, don't you get the impression Jesus is sort of discouraging people from following him? <laughs> oh, you want to be my disciple? Well, are you ready to, to leave everything? Or rich young ruler, you ready to empty your bank account? Yeah, I didn't think so. Paul's laid it all out to people. So he's done his part, and now he says you need to do your part. What does he say to you now? You, you've heard what Paul's done for you. You've, you've experienced people doing the same kind of thing that Paul did for these people. You've experienced it yourself, or you wouldn't be here. Somebody shared the gospel with all of us, right? Someone, someone brought us into, into an understanding of faith. So now what's, what's your part? Please look at verse 28. Pay careful attention. Sometimes this word is translated beware. And I sort of like that as long as you take it, be aware. Okay? Be alert. Be awake. Pay careful attention. What do you, should you pay careful attention to? to? You should not pay careful attention primarily to the world. It's, it's trying to get your attention all the time. Okay, you, you've, got, you've got electronics in your pocket right now, perhaps, that, you know, there's one way the world's always trying to get your attention. Yeah. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you you better not get cocky in your faith. You better not start thinking, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I would never, never be like that. Beware. Pay careful attention to yourself. Be on your guard. The world, Satan, your own flesh, they're all out after you. You need to be as alert as a soldier on guard duty. Guard yourself. And then, as you guard yourself, guard the flock. Okay, I, I really like the order that he's given here. It's very logical, isn't it? You, you pay attention to yourself. You seek as, as earnestly as you can to be walking in the, the way that the Lord wants you to walk. But you also care about your fellow believers. You care about those people around you. You realize that your Christian life isn't a solo trip. But there are people counting on you. How often have we come across that? in our study of the church these, these weeks. There's somebody that needs you. Somebody needs you to have their back. So pay attention. Be on your guard for yourself, but be on your guard for your buddy as well. All the flock. Of course, he's speaking to elders here, presbyters, bishops, 
Remember, we, we saw those two offices in the church, the elders and the deacons, elders charged with spiritual leadership and teaching, so he's speaking primarily to them, but I'm going to argue that he's speaking to all of us here, all of you. Okay, so as you realize he's talking to them, realize he's talking to us as well. You're not called to just sit back and do nothing. Nobody is in the body of Christ. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word bishop there, translated overseers here, to care for the church of God. Notice he doesn't say your church. He doesn't say care for your church. He says church of God. Church belongs to God. You better be careful how you treat it. It's precious to him. He obtained it. He came into possession of it with his own blood. You think God's not going to care about how you treat the church? He poured out his life's blood for the church. You better treat the church with great care, and that means your fellow believers, doesn't it? Jesus, in a parable himself, gave that parable of the judgment, and he said, you know, I'm going to sort people out. In the judgment, you know, I'm going to know the sheep and the goats. It's going to be, how did they treat my people? Did they give them a drink of water? Did they visit him in prison? Did they do something when they were sick? He cares about how his church is treated. And they're enemies to that church. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own cells will arise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Wolves are going to attack the church. Some of, that, some of that is going to be wolves coming in in sheep's clothing into the church. He doesn't say, now, now be out there attacking the world, okay, because the world doesn't like the church. Be out there attacking. That's not what he says. It's the wolves in the church that do the most damage to the church. What's the worst the world can do to the church? Kill them. Okay, and then they're in heaven. Well, that really worked. But wolves inside the church can rip a church apart. And they may look very good. They may sound, their words may be smooth as butter. Use the image from the Hebrew. The enemies of the church are so often within our walls. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're men, and notice this. Did you catch that? From among your own selves. Some of those elders that he's talking to, Paul knows there's a good possibility that some of them, some of them could go astray. 
turn out to be false prophets. They could turn out to be men that were looking for somebody to follow them. You see the shift there? From making disciples for Christ, they, they're really making disciples for themselves, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Again, this is coming from within the church. You need to be on your guard. And so he says, verse 31, be alert, be awake. And he goes back to his example as an encouragement to them, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish, to warn, to tell people to watch out, even with tears. I watched out for those wolves. I watched out for those men trying to make disciples for themselves and not Christ. Will you pick up the mantle for me? We start watching out for them. Churches in this part of the world have been ravaged by wolves. There are wolves in the pulpits right now of New England, preaching a false gospel, getting people to follow them. Don't let that happen here. You ever hear of the great church that's over in Ephesus right now? I haven't heard of it because it's not there. Within a generation, this church was wandering. We go over to Revelation and we hear, hear Jesus himself say to the church, you've lost your first love. You don't love me like you used to. Within just a generation, that can happen. Be on your guard. But we can go on to verse 32. He's going to end on a good note. (laughs) I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you. Here the word is... it's almost literally saying, I lay you at the feet of God. Okay. I put you into God's hands. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. There's that word grace again. I commend you to the grace of God. Live in that grace. Live in that grace. Don't get sucked into living by your works. Keep coming back to that grace. Commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which or who, there's a little bit of debate about whether it applied this to both God and his word or to God. I think perhaps it should be applied to God, who is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you hear the promise there? You need to hear the promise there. I'm giving you over to God, and he is able to build you up. That's this life. He is able to build you up. There are all kinds of things tearing you down. God's going to be able to build you up. He's going to be able to enable you to persevere. And then there's the promise next uh, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's, 
That's the reward at the end. He's going to keep you now in this life, and he's going to take you into that reward at the end. You share in the inheritance. You share in the inheritance. I have complete confidence, Paul's saying, that I'm putting you into capable hands. It's not depending on me as the preacher, as the missionary in this case, Paul would say. I commend you into the hands of God. You're in the hands of God. He's not going to let you go. He goes back to a personal note, verse 33. Sort of began with personal note, ends with a personal note. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You might think, Paul, you just throw this in to pat yourself on the back a little bit. I think maybe there's, there's more to it than that. I think this is, this is a little glimpse of Paul's own process of sanctification. It's interesting that over in Romans, if we had time, we could go to Romans 7, where he's talking about the law. And he says, you know what aspect of the law really got me? No, I did okay reading all the commandments, thinking I was measuring up pretty good till I got to that number 10. When I read, you shall not covet, suddenly I realized I'm a coveter. That's what broke me, Paul says. So I think this is a little t- personal testimony. You know, I, 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 I know I struggle with coveting. But God enabled me, enabled me not to covet anybody's silver or gold, their fancy clothes. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Guard against that. We live in a materialistic culture, a consumer-oriented culture. Boy, that's, that's pulling at you. Every day you're being tempted to want something somebody else has got, to envy somebody, to covet something. Watch out for that. Maybe a struggle for you like it was for Paul. So to counter that, okay, when you want to stop doing something bad, replace it with something good. And so verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He's a tent maker, of course. I worked. Here's a good antidote for coveting. Go to work. <laughs> work with my hands to provide for my necessities so it wouldn't be a burden on you, the church, and, to the, and for those who were with me. In all things, verse 35, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. The work of your hands is valuable to the kingdom. Okay, the work of your hands, the work of your mind that you engage in from day to day, you're, those are important. Th- those are spiritual callings. Don't think your ministry is like a couple hours a day or something like that. Your, your calling is all through the week and whatever job God has placed you. Show that by working hard, you can help the weak. And, of course, there's going to be a spiritual side to that as well. As you are 
growing spiritually. You, want to, you should be helping the weak spiritually, but, but take this literally as well. If you've given, been given the ability to work, you know, consider that a, a, a welcome thing to be used to help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We have these words from, from Paul here. They're not in the Gospels. It's great that they're, they're here. Paul's learned that. He's learned that. He's learned it's more blessed to give his time, to give his talents, to give the work of his hands, to give his effort, to give his tears. It's more blessed to give. It's more blessed to give your life. He gave his life for these people. living for his Lord, living for these people. Again, he, he's not going to hold anything back. He, he wants the full privilege of giving. Now, I pray to God you don't reach the end of your life and think, oh, I wish I'd given more. I wish I didn't have so much in the bank account. Wish I hadn't accumulated so much stuff that I haven't given away yet. I, I pray to God you don't experience that. You don't say, I, I wish I'd given my time more to that person, to my family, to my friends, to the church. I wish I'd taught that class. I, I wish I'd spent time with those kids. More blessed to give than to receive. And so they pray together, much weeping on the part of all, because there is much love. <laughs> the text literally says they embraced Paul and kept on kissing him. I guess they weren't Yankees. <laughs> They loved the guy, and they were sorrowful because they wouldn't see him again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They didn't let go of him until he got on board and probably sat, stood on the shore watching till the ship disappeared from sight. But what a treasure he had left them. He's left this treasure for you, this message. I pray you'll take it to heart. Let's pray together. Only Father, we're so grateful for the love of God you've shown to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grateful that you, that you brought our hearts to repentance, hearts that were pretty hard at times. You broke, you softened your convicting work. Thank you for the faith that you've given to us, that hope when we lost hope, that belief when we couldn't believe anymore. Thank you for your grace.
A grace that said, it's, it's not you. I don't love you for your sake. I don't love you because of the works you've done. I don't love you because of all the good deeds that you did. I don't love you because of the great reputation you have. I love you because I decided to love you. I love you because of my grace. Lord, I pray that grace would, would reach our hearts again. And we would, we would respond with joy and gratitude to that grace. Enable us, Lord, to do this and to communicate this good news to others. In Jesus' name, amen.